Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Pure Hoops Podcast, we are back. Big week from scrimmages to games. The NBA returns. Eric Newman in New York. BJ Armstrong in LA. How are you today, my friend? I can't complain. Eric, excited about basketball is coming back. So uh, let's get after it. Let's get and jump right into it. Yeah, I mean, you came in singing the Jackson 5. You came in all fired up. You got the pep in your step. And... um, it's just exciting to know that the NBA, as we've talked about a couple of times now the last few weeks, they've done a really great job with being organized, being safe, and, and getting back to the game and getting back to the business. So uh, it tips off Thursday night, July 30th. Uh, this will be dropping uh, Thursday as well. And not just looking at particular matchups and teams through opening weekend, but more some big picture stuff. And I want to start out with something you put out there on Twitter the other day that obviously put a big smile on my face from a, a fan standpoint. But uh, for the future of the game and future stars, we've got so many great young talents in the league. And uh, you put it out. We've seen this look before. Jason Tatum is going to be MVP next season because of his defensive commitment. Love it. I think you may have set a record for earliest MVP <laughs> prediction. And, you know, going to be MVP. Not should be, not could be, not might be. You said going to MVP. So talk to me. Talk to the fans. Where are you coming from with all the love and excitement for this rising star in Celtic Green, Jason Tatum? Well, when you see a young kid like uh, like Jason, any of these young players – making the, pro- the the progression that they've made, you know, you try to look for key factors. And the first, can you do something? What is it that you can do consistently night in and night out in an NBA game? And what I saw last season before this, you know, work stoppage was I saw a young kid in Jason Tatum who was making strides to become a consistent scorer every single time he stepped on the floor. He really was playing at a very high level before this season stopped. And he was doing that not just against the average teams or 500 teams in this league. I saw him do it against the Clippers, which is one of the top teams and have one of the top defenders. I saw him doing it against the Lakers, so forth and so on, and then against the Milwaukee Bucks. So he was beginning to really make that step offensively to where he knows at any given moment he could be perhaps the best player on the floor. That's a huge step when you see it with a young player, a young kid. Now, he did something over the summer prior to the season last year where you see most of the players make their biggest progression, which is 
when they go and play in international play, they begin to understand the importance of defense. Because when you play in international play, they begin to make that commitment on the defensive end. Right? I've seen it with Kevin Durant. I saw it the year before Derrick Rose won the MVP. And then as I was watching the game down there in Orlando, I saw something that was different about his game. Is what, and, the, and that difference was he was in a defensive stance in over 90, 80 to 90% of the times that he was on the floor, not only when he was guarding the ball, but on the weak side. And when I see a young player with those type of offensive skills who is capable of scoring 25 to 30 points a night on any given night in this league, and then you couple that in with what his commitment will be on the defensive end, this is what you'll see. And the regular season to him still means something. He's not at that age where a Kawhi Leonard is just playing to get to the playoffs or LeBron James, who's in year 17 or and next year he'll be in year 18. You know, Giannis could be, after this season, back-to-back MVP. This next season for him, 2021, should be a season where he's going to average 25 to 30 points a game. He will be better defensively, and he will want to have home court advantage for next season because make no doubt about it, that team is ready to win. I think with this experience, however it turns out for them now in the bubble, will be a positive experience for them. And without question, they could be one of the teams that should be at the very least one of the top three teams in the Eastern Conference next year, if not in all of basketball. I think next season he's ready to take that step. I think he's ready to take that leadership role. And defensively, when your best player starts to be the best player on the other end, then you got something special. And if Jason Tatum can do that, and what I saw in the two or three you know, scrimmages down there, that young man there should be defense. Uh, he should be the MVP next year because he is 30 points waiting to happen every single night with what he can do on the offensive end. You know, BJ, before we started recording today, we were talking a little bit about how the moves the Celtics have made and the moves they didn't make have really set up this window of contention. So you go back to the Pierce-Garnett trade in 2013 that got the draft picks that turned into Tatum and Brown. You go back to the decision to bring in Kyrie Irving and then he leaves. You go back to Danny Ainge refusing to include Tatum or Brown and any other blockbuster to try to bring another star in. And this um, group of guys, these competitors, these two-way players, the window that's clearly there for them right now, it's just amazing how it's all aligned with the development of Tatum, the development of Brown, the improvements of Marcus Smart, Kemba Walker coming in to be a leader. Uh, how do you see the parts around Tatum working and complementing him so well that you feel like this can be a leap not, to, not just to all-star and superstar, but to an MVP caliber player as soon as 2021? Well, I've been knowing Danny for quite some time, and Danny Ainge has done an incredible job um, as the general manager there in, in Boston. And if there's one thing that Danny understands is how to improve his team, right? There's four ways that you do it, right? You can do it through the NBA draft, which he's drafted very well. You can do it in trades, which he has traded very well. You can do it in free agency, 
which there was a lot of chatter about Anthony Davis and all the other players. And you can do it from within. And one thing I can always say about Danny Ainge and the Celtics, they're always in the conversation of all the four ways to improve your team. That's what I respect Great most point. about Danny. He always is. He always has his organization and his team in the conversation. Now, you don't know where that great player is going to come from, but you have to be prepared for where, where you know when he does come, and then put yourself in position so that you can capitalize when that player is ready to win. The one thing about Jason Tatum is that he drafted Jason Tatum. Now he's allowing Jason Tatum to really learn, but he wasn't put in that leadership position from day one. He was able to learn, adjust, grow, and then when he's ready to do it, then you saddle that player with the responsibility of what's going to be needed to really be called an NBA champion. You just don't walk into this league on day one and say, you know, that player is ready to lead. You allow that player to grow into, into the role. That's what I love about what Danny has done. I think at some point, Danny Ainge and the Celtics are going to have to figure out what position that Jason Tatum is going to have to play that's going to give them the best chance to win a championship. That kid there, I think, without question, is a top five talent in the NBA just because of his ability to score. Now when he makes his commitment to defend, now you're talking about a very special player. So whatever that position is, and Danny and his, and, and his you know people there, they know their team much better than us. I think that you know having a player like a Jason Tatum leading the charge will give them every opportunity to do that. They have pieces in Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown. They have a lot of you know championship caliber pieces, but clearly they need that one piece. I think Kemba Walker gave them the stability that was needed. I think he's been great. Hopefully his health is okay. But I think they feel that they're going to need one addition, wherever that may be. And I think that will all depend on where Jason Tatum is going to settle in eventually in his, you know, in this system or however they feel that they're going to have to play moving forward. Yeah, and one guy you didn't mention, Gordon Hayward, has quietly just meshed his way in, shooting 50% from the floor, career high this year in rebounds, very efficient. And has kind of been like the, the plug and play compliment. Do they need him to be a playmaker, to get them into their offense when Kemba's out of the game? Check. Can he be a scorer? Check. Can he be a guy that just spots up and shoots and plays on the weak side? Check. So, he's done a great job too. Let, let's end it. Uh, let's end this topic on, on this, uh, this question and theme. You played with the greatest wing combination in the history of the game with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. I am not making a comparison here at all, but how dynamic and special of a wing combination can Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown be, starting with the fact that they both play both sides of the floor so well? Well, you know, look, I'm a huge Jalen Brown fan, and, of course, I love, you know, Jason Tatum. I, I, I love what they do. Um, I love how they both you know, especially Jalen Brown, what he does on the defensive end. I mean, the, the kid, you know, he's a great – I don't even like the term two-way player. I mean, it, isn't that what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to play offense right. and defense. Um, well, and, and don't forget, you're supposed to play with energy, yes, energy and, players. You're supposed to play with energy. That. But when you start talking about playing at a championship caliber, you have to play 
what we all understand who've had an opportunity to either play the game, compete, or play professional sports. You have to play with, with an advantage, and you have to have an advantage basketball. You know, what I see with this combination is the following. Jason Tatum has an advantage as a two-guard in this league. That's what I see. Mm. And what I mean by that is not that he can't play the three. And in this case, you know, I'm watching him right now. He's playing the four because of the way the game is played, especially during the, during the regular season. But if you could have every two guard in the league match up against him, I don't care who he's playing against. He has an advantage on the offensive end. And defensively, because of his athleticism and because of his size, he should be able to defend every two guard in the league with an advantage of saying, I can get 25 to 30 on you, and I can make your life very difficult on the other end because he has size, right? He should be able to contest. It's like watching Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, yes, he can play the four because he's tall enough to do it. He can even play the five. But if you put him at his natural position, which is the three, he has to be double teamed every single night. And when I look at Jason Tatum, if he's playing the two, every two guard in the league has to either double team him or match up in a way that's going to really compromise their defense because of his size. He can post up. He can shoot over the top of you. He has a great handle. And defensively, he can match up on that other end. Great players always give you an advantage. I think that's where his advantage is at and which will serve the team best moving forward, especially as you start advancing in the playoffs, right? So I think that making a commitment to where he's going to be is going to be in the best interest of the team. I don't know what that means for Jalen Brown. I don't know if that means he'll be playing the three. But I, what I do know is I want all of these two guards. I want Klay Thompson to play against Jason Tatum. I want C.J. McCullough. Mm. I want every two guard in the league to have to match up with him because I think that gives the Boston, Sex, the Boston Celtics a huge advantage and most importantly, I think you'll see the true brilliance of this young man when he can just settle in and say, this is what I do, and begin to really pick defenses apart because he will begin to see how other teams will defend him from that, from that one position. Interesting to think about because of how Coach Stevens looks at the floor offensively. Ball handlers, wings, and bigs. And with Brown, Hayward, and Tatum, he puts all three of them on the floor. Right. It is a matchup nightmare for other teams, but other teams will then decide, okay, well, I'm going to put my two on Jalen or put my two on Gordon and maybe a bigger body who's playing the three um, uh, on Tatum. But someone out there is going to have a mismatch if Kemba or Marcus Smart is at the point. So. Uh, a, a lot to think about. We could go for hours on this Celtics team. We'll have a lot more to think about with this, with them. Um, my last point is the fact that Jason Tatum was in Game 7 against LeBron James in the Eastern Conference Finals his rookie year, and then his second year felt what disappointment in the playoffs, uh, what he, he felt what that uh, was like. Uh, I think this sets him up for some monster growth in the coming weeks and, uh, as you're saying, for the 2021 season. So... BJ, we've done a lot of stuff um, that's going to be coming out on video about uh, the contenders, the teams that we feel have a shot to go uh, deep into the playoffs, potentially make a run at coming out of their 
respective conferences if they get hot and the matchups align the right way. The clear three favorites, though, in terms of conversation, odds, and what we've seen through the season are the Clippers, the Lakers, and the Bucks. So putting those three to the side right now, we're about to start this thing off. Who, in your mind, is that next team that's got the best shot to win it? Cross L.A. off Clippers, Lakers, cross the Bucks off, of course, led by Giannis, the top seed in the East and the best record in basketball before the stoppage. Who's that fourth team that's got the best shot to to make a run? You know, Eric, before this tournament starts, you know, I call it a tournament starts. I just want to be on the record to say I, I'm picking the field here to come out and win a championship. Oh, wow. I, I, I really okay. don't know. Before the stoppage, before this work stoppage or the, you know, the stop play, you know, I, I thought that the L.A. Clippers looked like the team that was best prepared if you will, to head into the postseason. When the game slows down, when the game begins to resemble more of what, we kind of un- what we've come to understand about playoff basketball, I thought the Clippers were the team that was best equipped to play that style that's necessary to win in the, in the postseason. However, now with this stoppage of play, now you have four months or whatever it is that the guys haven't played, I don't know what to expect, you know. I, I What I do know is that whoever gets a little momentum, starts making some shots, that could be a game changer. And on top of that, Eric, one of the things that you always want to make sure that you you have and you have 82 games to do it is you get yourself in the proper condition to be able to play the game so that you can eliminate the conditioning factor. That will be a problem now as we head into this into this scenario. They literally have eight games to play before they start playing playoff basketball. You know, as an ex-athlete, I would like to think that I was conditioning and doing all of the things that I could do to have and be in the proper condition. There's no way in eight games that I'll be ready to play 40 minutes at that level consistently, night after night after night. And when you get to the playoffs, you play every other night. In saying that, the team that I trust most Besides these three teams, the L.A. Clippers, the L.A. Lakers, and the Milwaukee Bucks, the team that I trust most would be the Toronto Raptors. I think they are the team that is most poised. They have the most experience, and I know they understand exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to making a championship-caliber run. This team has been through the battles, and I trust them that they know, and they will make the adjustments not only during the game, but during the course of a series whatever's necessary to win, and they've done it. Now, do they have the talent? You don't just take a talent like Kawhi Leonard off your team and expect, you know, to get the same results. But certainly as a group, what they've been able to accomplish this year, I know that they still have the fight in them. But most importantly, they have the the talent and the players who are capable of getting it done. But saying it and actually doing it is is two different things. So Mm. that's the team that I trust most as we had, if you had to ask me and put me on the spot. So we could see a Celtics-Raptors second-round series if they finish 2-3 and both get out of the first round. So I have to ask, if we see that series, what's the one difference maker that would push Toronto ahead of Boston? Is it that championship experience from the year before, even though they don't have Kawhi? But what's that one thing in your mind that would set Toronto apart from the Celtics and uh, 
push them past them if they see each other. Well, the thing that I, I, I've Kawhi Leonard got all the headlines last year as he should. I mean, he was really brilliant. But the thing about when the thing about the Toronto Raptors that I respect most are their bigs, in particular Serge Ibaka. Serge Ibaka is a very unique player that comes off the bench and gives them really the flexibility that every, I think this is a dream for every coach. He plays the four and he's athletic and he plays the five and he's really athletic. And you can argue that in the way the game is played today, he actually elevates the second group more than the first group because he's a little bit more athletic than Marc Gasol, who was a former defensive player of the year. And that mm -hmm. is a huge statement. And I don't think there are many teams <clears throat> that can match up with those two bigs because they give them an excellent combination that not many teams can counter. So, yes, they have lost Kawhi Leonard without question. That's going to be an issue, but the components are still there. And this kid Siakam has really taken his game to another level. And maybe, and just maybe, he's ready to step into those shoes because he hasn't backed away from the challenge all year. He's had a great year. He continues to get better. And what he's doing as a, I don't know, I don't know, he's a, he's a forward of some, some sort. I don't know if he's a three or four or what have you, but clearly he is, you know, a problem matching up with him and what he can do not only in the post, but on the perimeter. And as we all know, he's very athletic and um, he's just having another great year. He's, he's made tremendous strides. I think the big question is, can he be their closer? And great point on Ibaka. He's continued to get better at this point in his career, where I think a lot of people thought he kind of plateaued in Oklahoma, then he bounced around, goes to Orlando, goes to Toronto. But uh, he's made great strides uh, up there, and, and, and specifically the, the role he plays for that team, and also a uh, big fan of Fred Van Fleet. So... I think that series could be an unbelievable seven-game series and a great chess match between uh, Coach Nurse and Coach Stevens. And th each team has different strengths, so I, I think that would be a heck of a series. Um, shifting to the tone of these uh, lead-up games for the playoffs, other than the teams going for the eighth spot in the West – and obviously Washington is there in the East, but it's it's looking like a long shot. But Brooklyn is shorthanded, so Brooklyn, Washington in the East, uh, six teams in the West going for one spot. Other than those, the teams that we know are going to be in overall, fighting to win games or fighting to figure out chemistry, rhythm, and conditioning to set themselves up to be in in the best possible basketball mode, basketball chemistry, forget seating for when the playoffs starts? Well, I think it's all of the above, Eric. You know, this is uncharted territory for all of us. And I have know, to keep reminding myself of that. Yeah, I mean, is, the, <laughs> yeah. when you look at the games and you look at these teams, I mean, they're all playing with the uncertainty of, like, what is going on here? And I can't imagine the stress – the preparation and all of the things that these players are seeing. This is 
I mean, it's like bizarre. And every time I speak to a client or I speak to an executive or I speak to someone, everyone is just like, okay, let's see what today brings. And then we will respond accordingly. There is no roadmap to how this should be played, how to prepare and how to work in this type of environment. So I would, the only thing that I can say is that how it used to be, I can talk about that perspective, but certainly in this new normal that we're, you know, that we're witnessing literally on a day-to-day basis, it's new, it's uncharted territory, it's uncharted waters for all of us, and we'll see how it plays out. But, um, you know, give these players credit, these young people credit for adapting, because, you know, I don't know how I would respond, you know, down there, playing but give them credit they are figuring it out they're playing they're working and at some point hopefully this will this bubble uh exercise if we will will continue and they'll be able to conclude it there will be a champion and i think it will be an amazing accomplishment for whoever is going to be crowned champion at the end of this uh bubble experience for sure so some other teams that we're keeping an eye on the Utah Jazz, they start off with the Pelicans right out of the gate. That'll be a fun one. Uh, again, eight games leading up to the playoffs. Uh, one Jazz addition this season that didn't have the impact, at least statistically, that we thought was uh, Mike Conley. So the Jazz lose Bogdanovich, who was 20 points per game. 41% from three, a real threat for them, fit in beautifully with Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and co. Now, Connolly picked it up a bit before the stoppage of play. Um, 13th year, a lot of playoff experience. Uh, what do you think Connolly brings to the Jazz as we head towards the playoffs from the bubble? Well, you know, it's kind of funny watching Mike Conley because, you know, Mike Conley is a pro's pro. And, you know, he's been very consistent throughout his career. He has played the game at a very high level, and clearly he has leadership and all of the things that you want as a guard, as a lead guard in the NBA. However, one of the secrets that we all have come to understand who played in that league, and especially at that position, the difficulty of playing with a big, a true big, because it limits your ability to drive and penetrate to the basket. You know, Marcus Gasol and how they played there in in Memphis. Marcus Gasol was I don't I want I don't want to call him a stretch five, but he wasn't a player that you had to particularly just stick into the post and let him play with his back to the basket. Marcus Gasol can do. Oh yeah. He could do a variety that, that, of that, things. Th- that, that chemistry they had because of those skill sets was, was, was perfect. Yeah, but now he's playing with Rudy Gobert, and Rudy Gobert is more, I'm not saying he's a traditional low post player, but he's not as skilled on the perimeter as a Mark Gasol, which is going to limit Conley's ability to penetrate. In today's game, if you watch the game here, you know, the game is basically, especially during the regular season, pace and space. And you have to have the ability to attack the basket with your lead guard. 
if you're going to play with Rudy Gobert, you can't ask Rudy Gobert to sit out on the perimeter and shoot <laughs> and shoot threes. So yep. that is what you're seeing with Mike Conley. It's not that he hasn't been productive. Is they have to figure out the delicate balance because Rudy Gobert, what he brings to the team, I mean, he's, he's terrific. I mean, he is defensive player of the year. He's a rim protector, so forth and so on. So now you're going to have to figure that out. And I think it's taken Mike a little time to figure out when to drive, when to kick. And when he does drive, he has to play what we call now vertical basketball, throwing lobs. And I think that's going to take a little time because he hasn't had an opportunity to play with a player with Rudy Gobert's skill set. And that takes a little time, but Mike is a pro. He'll figure it out. And the thing I like about him is he hasn't panicked. And the coaches haven't panicked. They still have a good team. But I expect Coach Snyder and the staff to figure out how to play more small ball. I think with Bogdanovich being out will allow them the opportunity to go four perimeter guys and Rudy being the fifth guy who can rim protect and do the things, which will give them a different look. So I think it'll be fine in the long, in the, in the long scheme of things, long term. But I think it's been an adjustment, and all of us guards who've played, you understand. If you're going to be a guard and you're a scoring guard, you, in particular, you don't want to play with a guy who plays with his back to the basket and uh, because it takes some adjustment to do. Yeah, Gobert is a bit different than Gasol, and uh, he wasn't throwing many lobs to Zach Randolph back in the day. <laughs> uh, you know, one, Shout, one out that, he, Shout out to Zebo. Shout out to Zebo here. <laughs> I love uh, – how much did you love watching that team play uh, basketball? I, 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 I absolutely loved it. I, I loved it. I loved Zebo and Mark, Tony Allen. I mean, there was just, you know, they were going to get after you. They, you knew they were going to yep. play that slow, you know, methodical style of, of, of basketball. And it was fun, and they were a tough group. So uh, those were uh, that some one. Fun teams. That one year. Might be get, I'm getting my years mixed up, but they had the Warriors in a very uncomfortable position. Right. And Conley got hit in the face, had to put the mask on, and they just weren't the same. Sure. And that Grizzlies team, along with the Lob City Clippers, I think will, uh, in, in this era, will go down as two of those what could have been's. Uh, a couple of breaks here and there, and, and they're potentially breaking through. But uh, that was fun basketball to watch, and, and that really, you know, it's funny. Um, the We Believe Warriors created this excitement and hunger that then when Steph and Clay and Draymond rose up, like that excitement and hunger and desire for a winner was there. And you have to imagine if. Um, that Grizzlies team, the grit and grind, they built that excitement, that fan base, and now Morant and this new crew are kind of going to reap the benefits of that in a way in terms of the, the connection and the expectations and the fact that they're uh, in position for the playoffs right now is, is really, really cool. So um, another team in position for the playoffs, we talked about this uh, during our race for the eight um, segment we knocked out this week. The Pelicans, Zion Williamson, before the shutdown, was almost at 30 minutes a game. New Orleans going into the restart is three and a half games behind Memphis. Uh, 
I know you have an opinion on what you would do with Zion, but what do you think Alvin Gentry is going to do here as obviously the Pelicans want to get in the playoffs? Well, I think with Zion, you have to maintain the long-term approach, which is we're going to have to monitor his minutes and ease him into building him to a place where he could be comfortable playing 35-plus minutes in an NBA game, let alone in the playoffs. You know, the, the one thing that you don't want to do is you don't want to get mesmerized by his talent because he does so many positive things on the floor and then throw him out there. And as you get fatigue, it exposes you to injuries. And w without question, he's an impact player. But we must remember he hasn't played in a lot of games this year. I don't know, 18 or 19 or so games he's played thus far. But if you can get him out there on the court 30 minutes – you know, twit, I give you a 12 to 15 min, minute run each half. I think that's great for him. And then you live with the end results. But if you're going to make a, a serious run, your best player has to be on the floor at a minimum 35 to 37 minutes a night. And I don't know if that is the best situation or the best thing for the New Orleans Pelicans, let alone Zion Williamson. He just can't be in the condition that's that he needs to be in to be able to handle that, those type of minutes. And he and we can't forget, he's already missed some time due to a family situation already. So, um, but you know what, he is fun. He is a highlight machine and uh, we wanna see him more, but I think long-term is in his best interest not to play. And I think what gets lost, BJ, is like, Zion Williamson is not in a position where he has to carry the load. This team has a lot of talent a lot of firepower, a lot of versatility. Holiday, Redick, Ingram, uh, Favors. I like the big kid Jackson Hayes off the bench. Um, how much does the future of the Pelicans with Zion as a big part excite you, knowing the other pieces? And, of course, Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart, who have also played very well since uh, coming over in the Anthony Davis deal. Well, I think... Um you know, David Griffin and all of the executives there have made a point not to place that type of responsibility on Zion. However, he was the number one pick. And when you watch this young man play, you can see the potential. He is one of those talents where if he is your best player and he's able to be out there and play extended minutes, it increases your chances significantly to win that basketball game. And that is the catch-22 with this organization right now. It's because they know they have a player that will make an impact during the game. But we have to not be get mesmerized by his talent, throwing him out there before he's ready to do that. Because physically, you know, he is a big man. And the way he plays, he's a physical player. And not only is he a physical player, he's an athletic player. And we haven't seen a man his size doing things he's done. So... You know, it's, it's yeah. going to require a delicate balance, and uh, I give them credit for having the discipline thus far to not just throw him out there in a game. I'm really excited about this this roster makeup and the fact that he can get so much in the flow of the game because of how this front line is constructed with him and Ingram and favors now Hayes for the future. And when this team gets out and runs and the flashes of, of – brilliance and improvement from Lonzo Ball. Uh, we're going to be talking Pelicans for for a long time if they can keep this group uh, together and, of course, healthy. Um, but the right here and now, BJ, um, 
we keep joking about it. This this L.A. thing is going to be decided in Orlando. Um, Thursday night it starts off. Lakers Clippers. Clips won uh, two of three head to head this year. Big picture though, Thursday night is to get everybody in front of their TVs and ease into it. But with the anticipation that these teams can clash for the Western Conference Championship, how does the Laker game plan change in regards to the Clippers without Avery Bradley and without Rajon Rondo? Well, you know, um, the reason I like the Clippers, and I'll just get right to it. The reason I like the Clippers is because right to it. the Clippers game plan hasn't changed from day one and will not change as we head into this bubble, you know, playoff run. They are a defensive team, and if they can get stops, they will win the game. That's what I love about this team, the Clippers. Their bread is buttered on the defensive end. They have not good defensive players. They have great defensive players. We're talking about Patrick Beverly. Paul George is a terrific defensive player. Kawhi Leonard is, what, two-time defensive player of the year. Montrez Harrell, you know, they just added Joaquin Noah. So defensively, Doc Rivers has said, if we can stop the other team, then we can win the game. Now, on the other side of the uh, uh, on the other side of town, you have the LA Lakers. The LA Lakers are saying, we, if we can give the spacing and shoot the ball well, that gives us the best chance to win the game. And as we know, Eric, you always can't shoot well, right? Some nights you may shoot well. Avery Bradley, the one game I think the Lakers did win, he was incredible. But I don't expect Avery Bradley to shoot that way in a seven-game series. I don't expect Rajon Rondo to be consistently great from the perimeter, all right, when he does return. So one has a defensive concept. The other has an offensive concept. Now, the offense is all provided on the fact that LeBron James and Anthony Davis are going to draw double teams or at least be able to break the team down consistently to allow these shooters and these role players to get open shots. So this is a great chess match. I happen to believe that when it gets down to it, that your defense will win the game in the end, especially when we get to the playoffs. So I am saying consistently, I think the Clippers have a better opportunity just because defensively they've taken the philosophy that we're going to rely on our defense as opposed to our offense. If they don't shoot well, so be it. But as long as you can defend well, it will allow you an opportunity to win the game. J.R. Smith and Deion Waiters and all of these guys, they are very capable offensive players. You saw them just the other night. They both have 20, 18 points in limited minutes, and you're going, and when that ball's going through the basket, it's looking great. Oh, yeah. But, again, if you're going to boil the game down to its pure essence and a game seven situation, or let's just say game five, game six, game seven, you know the other team's offense, you know all of their plays, they know all of your plays, now it just gets down to loose balls and who's going to defend. I think they have better 
individual defensive players, and I think team defense they are better equipped to to defend on the defend on the perimeter than the Lakers are. But you can't count the Lakers out because clearly they have not one, but they have two players that's going to command a lot of attention, and Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And if you can get hot in the right situation, anything is possible. Yeah, and let's let's be sure we we always give the Clippers a lot of credit defensively as we should, but the Lakers have been a very good defensive team most of this yes. season. They've committed themselves, they've built that identity. I think it it comes from, you know, Vogel came in with a plan, LeBron bought in, AD is a elite defender, Dwight Howard's been a great help for them defensively. Uh, in the paint, Avery Bradley's obviously p- played very well. There's a chance Rondo is back. Um, w- we can only hope we get this series. We we can only hope we're deep into a Western Conference well, Finals with these two teams because of all of these different elements where you're looking at the game and you're looking at the the team attributes and the individual talents, and there's just so much here besides the obvious battle for L.A. Well, I, I will say this. I want to make I, I want to make sure I, I say this as well, especially to all the LA fans, the Laker fans, is that the Lakers are a terrific defensive team as well, but they just do it in a different way. They have three rim protectors and shot blockers, and JaVale McGee, who's excellent at the rim, Dwight Howard, and of course Anthony Davis, who could potentially be Defensive Player of the Year. Now, to counter that, I think the the Clippers will go small to get those shot blockers out of the game. Why? Because what do the Clippers want? They want their perimeter players, in particular Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, to be able to attack the basket. They have to be able to attack the basket. So, again, this is going to be a great chess match. Frank Vogel is going to have to make tough decisions. Doc Rivers is going to have to make tough decisions on where they're going to go big, we're going to go small, matchups. So I think this is set up to be a true, you know, I, I, I'm excited just talking about it because you have great players, you have options, you have adjustments, and most importantly, you're going to have a will. Someone's going to win this war where, when I say this war, of like they're going to impose their will on this series. And it's going yep. to start with the two best players on both sides, right? You got LeBron James, you got Kawhi Leonard, you have Anthony Davis, you have Paul George, and then you have all these role players. You got the coaches, and someone is going to impose their will on this. And I can't wait to see how it turns out. If I had to pick one, I'm always going to pick the defensive side of the ball because that is the most consistent that you can do in an NBA game is because you can't always make the shots, but you could always bring the effort and the energy. And I think that in the end will win out, but who knows, you know, if you get hot, you're hot. And, um, but you know, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm going to be tuned in for sure with my chicken wings. I might add <laughs> mm. on Thursday night, the Lou will, the Lou will in honor of Lou will come on. I got to have my chicken wings. I got to have my, my chicken mm. wings in honor of my man, Lou will. Love it. Um, Lakers, third in defensive rating, third in opponents' points per game. Clippers, fifth in defensive rating, 13th in opponents' points per game. I like to 
mention analytics as part of the conversation, not dominate the conversation. He, he, sorry, you go ahead and then I'll make my final no, point. I, I, I love the data. I love, I, I love yeah. all of the data, but you know what? It doesn't mean anything until uh, <laughs> we get to the game. Roll the ball out and let's go. So I'm, as you're talking about the matchup, I'm saying to myself, okay, in order for this to happen, the Lakers are going to have to beat Memphis, Portland, or New Orleans, most likely in the first round. In the second round, the Lakers will be matched up with likely a Utah-Houston or Oklahoma City. Am I forgetting anybody? Utah-Houston-Oklahoma City in the second round. The Clippers will, if it started today, would be playing Dallas in the first round. And then a Denver, or if a six seed could upset Denver, would most likely be the Rockets in the second round in order to get there. So by no means is this a a, a definite. These teams are going to have to go through some really tough battles. And I just wonder especially with these L.A. fan bases, how much this neutral court is going to hurt them compared to help them uh, in these big games. But um, Well, I, I can we, say this. Got a, being, yeah. being out here in L.A., make no doubt about it, you know, th- th- there's a massive Laker fan base. Massive. Oh, yeah. And even at Clipper home games. Even at Clipper home games. And I think – in the playoffs in particular that will that will matter because you know they play their home games in the same building staples center and i don't care what they do you can't deny all of those banners up there when you when you come in there with the lakers and that gives them confidence it gives their fan base confidence and you know there's nothing like laker playoff basketball and and that's just it's just what it is and in being in the same city and understanding, you know, in a playoff environment, you know, you play, normally you're in the city for two days and then you go back to your own city. Well, you're going to be here potentially for seven days in the same city, listening to the same theme in the same city. So the media coverage of that in L.A. would be incredible. I think this plays – I think this and now plays, it's Now it's across the country. Now it's across the country in Orlando. So I think this gives the Clippers a slight advantage because yep. the Clippers, you know, they would have to deal with that. I mean, even during the regular season, there was a large Laker fan base that would show up at the Clippers game. Now, the Clippers mm-hmm. are making strides. You can see the Clippers – walking around with their chest stuck out a little bit. But make no doubt about it, the Lakers are here. The Lakers come out, and they support their team. And I think that thing or this what we're doing down in the bubble will favor the Clippers as we head into the playoffs. So last thing from the bubble. Um, We've seen the scrimmages. We love what we see on television. So my question is, and I don't. I have no idea if you have insider information on this, but when the games start Thursday night, 
Will there be a difference? Will we hear more sound? Will there be... What do you think the difference in environment could be like? As you were talking about uh, playing at Staples, I'm envisioning like... Are they going to take crowd noise from previous games and pipe it into the bubble in Orlando for the team who's got home court advantage? I'm just wondering um, what, if anything, will be different about the TV experience when uh, the games start for real in your mind. Well, if I could give you a player's per- perspective, I don't think they're, I don't think the players will actually care because the players right now have to figure out the following, which to me, it's going to just make this very unique. One, conditioning will be a fa- will be a factor. When you when you're a player, you know you can live with missing shots, you can live with making shots, you can live with the results because you know you've prepared yourself for this moment. No one, and I mean no one can be prepared for what these players are about to see here starting on Thursday because no one will be in game condition and that's going to put a tremendous amount of pressure on these coaches to shorten the rotations because some of these teams have to get through these eight games to get to the playoffs and the loss of one or two players can make a significant could be very significant in the outcome of how these playoffs will play itself out because there's just not enough time to recover, let's say, during the course of a season. A guy sprains his ankle, he's out for a couple weeks, you can recover and bounce back. If a player sprains his ankle now, doesn't really matter because there's just not enough time. So I... Tape it up. Yeah, so I... Tape it up. Yeah, so I think that these coaches are going to be under an unusual amount of stress to coach these teams and reduce the length of time in which we're accustomed to seeing these players play. I wouldn't put my players out there for more than eight minutes at a time because many of these players will want to play. They all understand how important this, you know, this, the games are. And they're going to, their mind is going to say one thing. But fatigue is going to say something else. And as these players get fatigued, they're going to expose themselves. And then well, now if you get a player hurt or something happens that's unforeseen or, you know, or whatever the case may be, that's a game changer. So I would play my players less minutes, and then I would extend my rotation to at least 10, 11, 12 players just to keep everyone fresh. And I'm just going to try to wear the opposing team down with just bodies as opposed to shortening my rotation and playing seven, eight guys and moving the, 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 the minutes from 35 minutes from my starters to 40 something minutes, because I don't think that's going to serve them well once they get to the playoffs. And you don't know how the bodies are going to react because they're not in that type of condition. So to me, you know, the coaches, yes, they're as they, you know, as they should, they want to win the game, but at what cost is going to be the question. And I think the the coaches who can have the most discipline will actually serve their team and the players well 
because they have to do this for what a minimum of three three and a half months so you came at it from the player's perspective depth huge expand the rotation first before shrinking it down later from a fan's perspective at home this is a unique viewing experience already. A lot of fans want to hear the chatter in the huddle. They want to hear the trash talking, the exchanges. Um, do you think we're going to get that from a? I, I know you're. I know you're lining up the wings. I know you're lining up the Armstrong household food order. But from a viewing standpoint, are we going to get those little extras from the NBA? You think, or how the scrimmages are being broadcast um, is how the games are going to be? You know, as a, as a person who loved to be in the gym, and I love to be in the gym, and I love all of the chatter. I love it. It's it's one of mm -hmm. the fun things. It's just kind of part of the ambiance of being in the gym, right? Guys are talking trash, and I yep. want to hear that. You know, Eric, now that I'm 52 and I have kids, when I go to the game now, you know, I don't sit as close to the floor as I used to because of I have kids. Interesting. I have kids. And it was first pointed out to me by my wife with our youngest, right? Who was four. And Oh boy. Who who was who was the culprit? Yeah, it wasn't who, who, who it wasn't a it? culprit. It was just it was just first point. It was just it was just clear it was just clear to me that you know what? What is being said on that floor, I get it as an adult. I get it as an ex player. I get it, right? I love it. But there's some things that my youngest and kids <laughs> in general <laughs> should not hear. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I, I have to be an adult here and say this, you know, I hope that they don't turn that microphone on because there are things that are being said out there that needs to be for the players and the players only. Right. Everything I know there's this appetite to want to be behind peek behind the curtain. There are certain yep. things that should stay in the locker room. There are certain things that should stay on the floor. And there's certain things that only the players should be able to share amongst the players. So, you know, when I go to the games now, I, I, I don't like to sit closer than 10, 11, especially when I'm coming with the family. Some of the things the players say are very creative and they are funny. As an adult, I get it. <laughs> but, you know, there are going to be kids who are going to watch the game. There are going to get a lot of people who potentially will watch the game who may not understand, you know, what we may not yeah. take personal and be offensive. So I think to protect all, I think we should cut that microphone off. And if the players choose to share those stories, so be it. It would be great for them to come on this podcast to share what was said out there. But it should be Absolutely. their choice. I, 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 that's just what oh. I, you know, some of the things that I've said and have said to me, 
it, it should only yeah. be for my ears and and the people that were said ears only. Yeah. So um, that, that's how I think. Yeah, I'm I'm smiling not just because of your tone and knowing your uh, sensibilities and sense of humor. I'm flashing back to. Uh, my first NBA playoff game as a fan, eighth grade, I take the train into Madison Square Garden to see the Knicks against the Pistons in the 1992 first round of the playoffs. So it's the series before your matchup with the Knicks that goes seven. And the Knicks win it in five. And um, my oldest friend, shout out, shout out my buddy Ross, um, Scrappy point guard, didn't have your jump shot or size or ball handling skills. Um, we go down to the court for warm-ups, and we are under the Pistons basket. And at this point, I'm programmed to hate the Detroit Pistons. I grew up, you know, and, and still am a big Celtics fan. But I'm watching them warm up, and I can hear Lambeer's voice and Rodman's voice and the chatter. And I was just completely captivated. I froze. And the usher, like, stood there with us. And then we ended up sitting a few rows back for, like, the first quarter until the people showed up at their seats and then uh, went back to where we were. But I, that's the first time I ever heard players on the floor. And I, I can only imagine over the years. And, you know, we hear things and you see the videos that come out. And every time Carmelo grabs a rebound, he's got something to say. And KG and Gary Payton and all the great ones. But... Some things should only be heard in that arena, and some things should, should not be for the ears of, of kids. And uh, we'll, do another, uh, we'll do another Eric Newman 90s flashback next week. But uh, great one today, my man. Uh, we are in a, a real good rhythm here getting back into it, and uh, we're going to keep it moving. So I hope you have your, uh, your watch list planned for the weekend. Oh, for sure. I think we need to get the, the, the new text chain going for the action. Let's stay in a stance, stay in our toes. If we've got something to react to over the next few days, let's uh, let's stay in a ready position. We've got the triangle here with me, you, and Mike, and we'll uh, we'll get it done. Let's do it. Awesome, awesome, great one today. Pure Hoops podcast. Special thanks as always to my partner B.J. Armstrong, producer Mike Lieber, the one and only Bruce Bernstein, editor Benjamin Wolfen, and the entire Pure Hoops media team. Be sure to check out the Mike Wise Show dropping each and every Monday. John Fanta and Kim Adams talk college ball every Tuesday with Full Court Press. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strom drops each Wednesday. Every Thursday, Monica McNutt and King McClure bring you buckets, boards, and blocks. Fridays is the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and myself. Please check out all of our shows. Download, rate, review, but most of all, enjoy. We'll see you next week on the Pure Hoops podcast. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the games. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Stay pure. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.